0: Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. We are Knee Deep in Tech covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 152, recorded on May the 11th, 2021. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on kneedeepintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. This episode is an interview that Simon and I did. With Christos Matzkas of uh, Microsoft a uh, couple of weeks back. So that's why it was recorded on the 11th. So without further ado, here we go. And we are joined now by Christos Matzkas. Christos, welcome to the show.
1: Nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Our pleasure. But let's start with who you are and what
2: you do.
1: I am a developer advocate for the identity team, um, working as a program manager. So it's a program manager. For the, cloud, for the developer advocacy team for Microsoft Identity. It's a mouthful.
0: <laughs> but
2: it sounds very fun, and I think we'll have a lot of fun talking about that since neither me or Alex are developers. Uh, but I've actually at one point submitted a, a an abstract to build where I wanted to speak about how to, like what developers need to understand of the needs I have as a endpoint manager, expert, and security uh, IT ops. So mm-hmm. I think we'll have a very interesting time. Yeah. But what does that role include?
1: What do you do during the days and the nights? Funny thing. I asked my manager when I was joining the team, like, <laughs> what's a typical day of a, you know, of a PM in the team? It's like, there's no typical days. You, you, you get to do whatever you, you want to do or whatever you need to do to uh, help the community. So my role is speaking to developers, speaking to DevOps people, speaking to IT people as well on how identity fits in the whole development lifecycle, helping people write more secure applications, dealing with issues sometimes. So, you know, people reach out to us via blogs or on YouTube or even on Twitter and say, I'm, I'm stuck with this. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, and then we will try to help them either by directly answering to them or by escalating to the appropriate teams. At the same time, we also try to educate people within Microsoft to Create better experiences for end-to-end um, integration with identity. So whether that's Visual Studio, whether that, whether that's the Azure SDKs, Azure services as well with mass identities, even the Azure AD and B2C portals can get a lot of love and um, you know changes via feedback. So our goal is to be the developer voice to uh, outwards, you know, outreach to developers and help them understand that you can build anything as long as you build it secure, and then take their feedback and feed it back to our program teams so that they can build a better product.
2: So, so when you talk about your product, program teams, are they the developer teams primarily, or is it the Azure AD team that I interact with from time to time from an operations point of view?
1: Yeah, I think it's the same team, right? Um, we have about mm-hmm. 2,500 people talking about and building <laughs> identity day in, day out. Uh, PMs and engineers, their whole point is to understand the internals of identity and help IT pros set up the the Azure AD or B2C in a way that it makes sense to them and their company, and then helping developers build around that. So consuming identity as well, not just creating identity, but also consuming identities, whether are internal or external identities. So that's the team.
2: Same team. Yeah, I I was just... (laughs) Struck by two and a half thousand, yep. like I think from from the point of an MVP or from the community, you interact just with now in 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 comparison a handful of PMs in general. Mm-hmm. I, yes, I would usually. never have guessed that that team were so big, but it's an essential part of every aspect of IT today.
1: Yes, I mean identity has a lot of facades, right? It starts with you know Azure Active Directory and and the whole domain management of your identities. And then it extends to uh, other tooling like Intune, right? And then how that works together. And then it extends to SDKs and then extends to uh, tooling. So there, there's, there are a lot of facades. Then we have also the GDP team, which is like a get to production, like helping customers get there or um, integration with. So there are a lot of teams. There's a, the CXP team where, where I'm part of, like the customer experience team, where we need to help either developers or IT pros uh, dealing with identities as, as a whole. Now we are focused, my team is focused on the developer um, advocacy, but there are other people that do the IT pro advocacy and they go out and talk about why and how you should be setting up your Azure AD or B2C tenant.
0: Would you say that there is a, a, a default mistake that developers make when it comes to identity or is it just a plethora of, of different things that people screw up?
1: Look, I mean, have you seen the news? Every week we have another thing that has made the news or another company that... Uh, or you receive an email saying, due to uh, new security measures, we're sending your password and please go and change it. Which usually means that this, mm-hmm. this screwed up somewhere. Um, it's a fundamental hard topic, right? Even before I joined the, the, the team, I, I, I thought identity is very interesting because it's part of security. And I'm really interested in security as a whole. But it's a, it's a topic that not many people uh, po- possess, like deep knowledge. I, I don't even claim to possess that deep knowledge because I'm learning every day. But it's definitely a scary topic. And most people want to just do the identity and move on to something else because it's like there's no identity developer, right? Unless you're talking about Walmart, then they might have 10 developers looking at that as their day-in, day-out job. Most developers will say, well, we need to build a website that needs to authenticate some users, but I also need to, you know, call some storage and some data databases and you know make it nice and make it look good and make it functional. So identity is item one of the 35 things I have to do. And usually they try to make it as quickly as possible. Uh, In some cases, they might think that they can take on identity and build their own identity systems like I did back in 2007. You don't want to know where that ended up. And um, yeah, so, you know, it's managing your user's data securely and in in a scalable way as well. And then um, also the identity extends to things like DevOps, like securing your pipeline or Runtime security where you want to access resources securely without really compromising the back end. So a lot of things and a lot of places that mistakes can happen. Hopefully, my role is to educate developers on how to do security end-to-end.
2: So would you say that... How have Azure AD changed the way developers can make that first step? Has that made a huge impact or... Were there other investments in identity from from a like, holistic point of view that made a difference for building secure identity, or is Azure AD a, a good a good first step for for a developer?
1: Well, first and foremost, we want to think about how is your identity going to scale, especially for larger organizations. And, you know, you start mm-hmm. with one application, then you have another one, and another one. If every single one of these has its own kind of identity model. It becomes very challenging for IT pros to or IT admins to manage all those users. So you, have, you don't just have the size of the database, you have the, the diversity of all these different systems being built. Like one team will be building with Angular, and they'll be using MySQL for a backend or, or NoSQL solutions, and they will store users' data there. And then another solution will be ASP.NET with uh, ASP.NET Identity, and then you have another system there. So it becomes very, very challenging. So. Azure Identity, so Azure AD is trying to provide one central location for IT admins to manage users as they onboard into the company, and then offboard as well, right? So imagine if you leave the company today, you need to not have access to any of the systems, whether they're internal or external. So by doing that via Azure AD, it makes IT admins' lives a lot easier. Now, as a developer, I can benefit significantly for that because I don't have to onboard users. They're already there, especially for internal users, line of business apps but um, it takes literally from three lines of code to maybe 20 lines of code to add identity into my system because everything is just delegated, right? My application just needs to point to an endpoint where the users go and authenticate and then the response comes back in the form of a token. So I don't have any credentials. I don't have any personal information that could compromise the user's information and my application scales. So as long as you set everything correctly and there's a learning curve there, I'm not going to say it's easy, but once you learn the the steps, it becomes very consistent and very efficient. So in .NET, we can do authentication with one line of code, literally takes one line of code or say two lines of code and four configuration variables that you need to set to actually do authentication in ASP.NET Core today, then uh, API is the same. In JavaScript and Node and Python and other languages, we may have a few more lines of code, but the... The model is very consistent. And uh, therefore, we don't expect developers to know the ins and outs of OAuth 2. We don't want them to know about OpenID Connect and how it works. Now, if you want to go and learn about that, you're more than welcome. But as a developer, you just care about how do I sign in my users, how do I sign them out, and how do I get an access token to go and speak to some database or some other APIs that I have. And that's the gist of it. And I want it to be as simple as possible. If we can get it with you know, three lines of code and some configuration settings, and then you can move on to the next task. That's success.
0: But The, the other side of that coin is um, that the, the more you abstract something away and the simpler you make it, I, s- I see people crop up that go, well, I don't trust this. This is mm-hmm. too easy. How do, you, how do you deal with that kind of, of discussion?
1: Well, you can still look at the internals, right? So, um, for example, we have MSAL, which is the Microsoft Authentication Library. The default one that comes with Microsoft Identity But we also support any other uh, OpenID Connect and OAuth compliant library. Therefore, if you want to bring your own library, if you want to roll out your own OAuth 2 library to use against our endpoints, you're more than welcome. You can use open source libraries, which have been vetted by the community. And MSAL is also open source. Therefore, anybody can go and contribute. Everybody can go and look into the internals of the library and then see what it does. Like You can download it. You can add it to your project and then go through the steps, like debug every single step just to see when the token comes in, how are the claims uh, dealt, how do we do uh, signature validation, how do we uh, validate the audience, and and what have you. So yes, it is hidden for your flexibility and your uh, speed of uh, completion. But at the same time, there's nothing stopping you from doing your own thing. It's just we're following and we're built on top of open standards. And therefore, it's compliant, right? You want to spend three months learning it? You know, you're more than welcome to uh, to learn all about flows and you know codes and how things should be validated. And the RFCs are available to you. We b- we build things on top of RFCs and we contribute to the RFCs as well. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you there.
2: Yeah, no, no worries, no worries. I I, I love the passion. Like that's that's what I enjoy the most about working with you and your peers in the different program teams. Like you really care and you really believe in what you do. And that that's something that I really, really like to hear. And that's why it's fun to interact with you. But I, I think we will go into the different kinds of identity uh, later as well. But I think also one of the benefits of using the platform that you help build and, and like take to, in the end, uh, all organizations and, and uh, people on the planet, uh, I think it's so cool to see that you have both, like you said, line of business apps, you have your internal Azure AD identities, but that also extends to business to business and business to consumer, right?
1: That's absolutely right. I mean, there there are a lot of scenarios that we can cover going from business to business, business to consumer, line of business applications. Um, and and mix in between, right? So, you know, one Mm -hmm. app may not just do external applications. Think about Walmart, right? Walmart has internal apps that they need to manage and they need to onboard their internal users into the system. So they need to make sure that they're authenticated. They -hmm. probably have an API or APIs for other vendors to communicate with, you know, purchasing systems, invoicing systems, delivery systems, and what have you. So that's a business-to-business scenario. And then they have the Walmart app where you can go and buy your... Your products and do your shopping every week, and that is a consumer-facing application. So, three types of identities dealing with, you know, different users, um, and therefore they can all be provided and supported by the Microsoft Identity Platform.
2: And and this is a bit of a curved ball, but me and Alexander spoke about uh, the Azure AD verifiable credentials at one point mm-hmm. as well. And and my question there is really. At, at, will we at any point get to a identity platform where you have one identity, where we n- don't necessarily have to talk about business-to-consumer, business-to-business, or line-of-business apps? You bring mm-hmm. your own identity. Is that what verifiable credentials are about? Or if it's not, do you see that happening?
1: Yes and no. I th- I think... The, the fundamentals of you know, Azure AD will need to change to accommodate that. We're mm-hmm. already seeing things like uh, external identities shipping into Azure AD, for example, where you can sign in somebody with a Google account and make mm-hmm. them part of their your domain, even though yep. they're not at contoso.com. Uh, and then we can also start to see Azure AD being part of B2C, where mm-hmm. you want to use B2C as the entry point for everything, and then you let BTC decide whether you're coming with a domain account or whether you're coming with an external account to sign in or, or even mm-hmm. with an external provider, like, you know, I want to sign in with my Twitter account. Yep. The unification would be super cool. The, the case went, you know, I'm not that clever to even work out what the, the mechanics behind that would be, but uh, there's, there's a lot of effort to go to a passwordless uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: environment where we don't even need to remember or know passwords and then um, unifying identities to make it easier both for IT admins and developers to build solutions. Uh, for that to happen, now I I don't know how far that is from becoming a reality or whether we'll uh, must do that, but verifiable credentials are a step towards the right direction.
2: Uh, we have spoken a lot about like the sign in and the identity and so on, but you also said that you were very passionate about security, uh, which I am as well. And I think we, we can all agree on that. For better and for worse, some things have improved during COVID. Uh, yep. Some things are still the same and, and still yep. insecure. How how do you work with developers in terms of to it like add additional security features, supporting MFA, supporting conditional access, or other aspects of securing identities?
1: Well, the nice thing about all these things is that you get them for free as a developer. So technically... I don't have to tell developers ever about MFA other than, hey, your IT admin needs to go and do it. Your Azure AD admin needs to just go and switch it on and then it lights up for everyone. So from a Mm -hmm. developer perspective, the fact that you don't have to think about conditional access, like how do I protect access to specific applications and only give access to certain users, whether they meet certain criteria, like geographic location, time of day or whatever. Again, you get all these things for free. I mean, trying to code... (laughs) Exclusion rules into your application to say people can only sign in between nine and five, nine a.m. to five p.m. And then well, the rest of the times the application should be inaccessible for whatever security reasons. It's super hard, and these rules can change very easily. Whereas having one of location to configure these and serve them across applications and then apply them, it's fantastic. Um, but secure like identities, I would say the Microsoft Identity Platform extends. Way beyond just the authentication component, yeah. just uh, managing the users. The second thing I'm more passionate about, or extremely passionate, is secretless applications. Like, how can we eliminate API keys or secrets or connection strings to your database that don't include any secrets that, that could be used as an attack vector to compromise your infrastructure? So, Microsoft Identity, especially if you're running on Azure, although that's not a prerequisite anymore means that if you are running on a platform that speaks to Azure and uses Microsoft Identity, you can, uh, you can use managed Identities to reach out to those backend resources without using any passwords. And that's a major thing because how many times have we leaked passwords accidentally into source code? How many times have we you know, compromised our infrastructure by giving access to developers to things that they shouldn't have access to, like production environments? Developers should not have access to production environments. They should, not, they should not have secrets or keys to any production environments because they can accidentally go and delete stuff. And I've seen people do that and then scrambling mm-hmm. to restore them or maliciously somebody going and as a bad actor doing something bad and then going away. So um, secretless is the next big thing because it's based on Microsoft identity. You don't really see it because it's behind the scenes. But, you know, using Azure SDKs, for example, that's all built in end-to-end security. So you as an IT admin don't have to worry about who's got access and when. You just have your RBAC permissions. And me as a developer, I don't have to think about or code the logic around it because it's built into the system. I can develop locally and then move the exact same code into production and it will work. Just magically mm-hmm. it will pick up the identity that has been set up, set up as long as it's been set up correctly.
2: I saw that Alexander like burst out in in laugh and a big smile when you mentioned databases, uh, since that's what he we he, he grew up with databases. I think he his best friend were a table at one point. Um, so, and I think we we have touched on that. I think we we have spoken about doing a session on identity and protecting Power BI and the databases. Mm-hmm. So. What's your thoughts, Alexander, on like secretless and what that would mean for your area
0: of of expertise in terms of data? I think it is is huge because just as Christos has has been touching on, people don't like to think about these things. And when you don't like to think about them, well, you kind of tend to ignore them. So in the data world, one of the the most amazing things that we've gotten in in recent times is the um, sensitivity labels, for instance. That is also a fantastic way of sorting things out behind the scenes, and keeping people from shooting themselves in the foot. <laughs> now, if you're if you really really enjoy your firearm, you're more than welcome and more than able to shoot yourself in your foot or somebody else's foot. But it makes it that much harder, and that is why I, I really like it. So, I I definitely love the idea, um, and it is. I think it's going to be a challenge to package it in a way that it is seamless, because Mm -hmm. if it is seamless, it works fine. If it is just not entirely seamless, then it might be something that you ignore instead. So it's a super hard um, trade-off there. And I I think that is an aspect of security that people might not necessarily think about, especially not as a developer.
1: I agree. So... At least for mass identities and integration, I think it couldn't be more seamless than it is today. If it is, do please let us know, and I'll let the Azure SDK team know. But um, there was an example where early on you could Azure arc any any device, which was not part of Azure, right? And then Azure Arc allows you to extend your, your Azure infrastructure to non-Azure um, infrastructure. Therefore, you can use your data center, you can use your local machine, you can use your laptop, you can use AWS, Google Cloud. And if you're running apps there that need to speak to Azure, then these devices will act as Azure VMs. So my laptop will start acting as an Azure VM. It will, it will behave like that and it can be managed by Azure um, resources. It will also light up as an Azure resource, even though it's not, which makes things great. And with Azure Arc, you also get a managed identity. But in the mm-hmm. early days of Azure Arc, that managed identity was not consistent with you know the normal Azure, uh, managed identities that you get on Azure. And there was a different endpoint they had to call. There was a different way to write the token in the CAS. And therefore, the Azure SDKs did not work out of the box. We did write a workaround or an extension to the Azure SDKs, but we did speak to the team as well and said, look, if people are using Azure Arc, they should be able to instantiate an Azure uh, token provider in the same way they do for everything else and make it seamless to them. They did. Therefore, now the experience becomes consistent. We took the feedback from developers and we made it part of the product. So uh, I agree. Security can be hard. So the more we simplify things for developers, the more we provide a consistent experience, then the more they will start to adopt these things and they will understand how they work behind the scenes. Sometimes it acts like magic, like the default token <laughs> credential that will f- automatically pick up an account. And if that account has actually those resources, it will work. Now, some people are like, how does this thing work? But you can go into the docs and work out what is the order of the token providers that are available to you and how it picked it up. So, um, yeah, you know, every good technology should look like magic, right? Hopefully, it will make secure yeah. one of these magic technologies.
0: Yeah, and, and the more seldom that I do something, the more important it is for it to be consistent, because then I might have learned something a couple of years back, and it is mm. still applicable to this, as yeah. long as it behaves in the same way.
1: Yeah, we do, we do change and break things every so often in our SDKs and APIs, so I have to admit that there's a bit of a learning curve as things uh, progress, but hopefully that progress is for the better simpler APIs, more consistent APIs, more language-specific APIs and language and verbiage and so on. Um, hence, there's no way, for example, right now we're living through the third iteration of the Azure SDKs. Nothing against the team, but it's probably the first time with the current team that they looked at the the whole thing and said, look, we need to start from scratch. We need to have our core libraries, like identity or logging, and then everything else built on top of that, and then get a cohesive Uh, experience among all all our products because in the past every product owned its own libraries so cosmos had its own developers that would build their own libraries and then storage had their own developers and therefore there was no consistency now we're at a point that you know it's uh it's actually delightful to use the azure sdk's to build stuff
2: and and i think that's something that really have changed over And I I may be wrong, but to me, the first time I heard about that kind of movement where we really need to focus on making the APIs work, be accessible, be simple to use, and and really be their API first was Windows Mm -hmm. Virtual Desktop, where you had the APIs first, and then you added on PowerShell support and so on, and people were okay, why are they doing this? I want my graphical user interface. But, But in the end, it turned out for the better because so many things were done. It was easy Mm -hmm. to learn, it was consistent, they had something to build on. And that's something we see now with other products where the APIs are the things that get released and published first way before we are able uh, to use them inside of the Azure portal. So I think that also shows how, how dedicated Microsoft are to developers, and also to partners in the end and customers that We want to give you access to this as fast as we can because you want the value that our services provide. We can add on like a product on top of those values, but it's just a web page. And if you want to build something of your own, we have made that all available to you. And like you said, if you now know how to build any solution with Azure storage, you can just continue and add other products to that. So I think that's a change that's really been ongoing and that now is more obvious even to non-developers.
1: Yeah, we're getting there. I think uh, we have a long way to go to make sure that everything is API first. But uh, there's a big push across all the mm-hmm. orgs to make sure that you know everything is built on top of APIs because yeah. that's the way to go.
2: Yeah. And speaking about APIs, and, and we'll now go back to Mayan and Alexander's favorite topic over the last episodes, uh, because we have we have read books, uh, which is uh, for me like one of the first books I've read in, in years where, uh, with the Phoenix Project, and I'm oh, just yes. now. I love that book. Yeah, and I'm now reading the Unicorn Project, uh, and we even had an episode which was named "We Really Hate Sarah." Uh, <laughs> But like and that's that's going back to DevOps. And mm-hmm. uh, we, we have had discussions about data ops as well, and I'm very passionate about having that kind of culture and the, the values of DevOps incorporated into the digital workplace too. Mm-hmm. But but how does your job tie into DevOps? Why why how how essential is identity for a successful DevOps movement or culture?
1: Yeah. Um Part of secure DevOps, right? I think identity is the first thing. Although mm-hmm. identity is one of these things that you delegate out and you don't have to worry about testing it or making it part of your DevOps. Like probably one of the things that you might need to do is maybe create a, an app registration in a production Azure AD uh, and a, in dev you use a different Azure AD uh, that is only for development purposes. Now mm-hmm. that becomes challenging because at the moment we don't really have a good way to sync Azure ADs so, you know, it's a lot of manual effort to replicate objects from the production Azure AD to the developer production AD. And therefore, sometimes we don't really see this uh, approach being followed. Uh, but there are, I think the other elements there are how do you deploy your resources in a way that is secure? Again, infrastructure as code is a big thing these days because everyone is running and they try to automate that. And usually, when you do uh, infrastructure as code, certain things require keys or passwords or secrets. And uh, again, this is where Microsoft Identity comes to the rescue because whether you're using Terraform or Palumi or uh, Ceph or Puppet or I don't know what's the cool thing these days, um, bicep <laughs> or arm, right? Straight up arm. Um, and let's say, let's let's pick up the favorite resource of Alexander. SQL, right? For SQL to instantiate a SQL, you need an admin account. Uh, You need a username and a password for your admin account, which in the past we've seen people hardcoding into ARM templates and, or passing them as variables or whatever. Now you can store all that information into Key Vault and at deployment time, uh, your your deployment task. Can use Microsoft identity to authenticate against Key Vault, go and pick up the right values, populate them in your deployment template, and then off you go. Again, secretless development, secretless deployment. Key Vault provides auditing so you know which account accessed those secrets when and why. And then you can also do DevOps there as well. We can have a, a Key Vault for, for production, a Key Vault for QA, and a Key Vault for dev, and therefore segregating the secrets and managing them even better. So, um, Going back to Secretless, remember we talked about Secretless apps, but we also have Secretless deployments or Secretless infrastructure as code and therefore making uh, DevOps people's lives easier one feature at a time.
0: Secretless has the same issues as a concept as serverless. Mm -hmm. There are servers underneath serverless and there's a lot of secrets underneath Secretless as well.
1: True, true. But your code... Will always be clean. That's the whole yes. point. You don't want yes. to compromise your source control because I don't know if many people know that, or if, and many of your listeners will know that. But there are bots that are running constantly on GitHub scanning for S keys, PGP keys, you know secrets, API stuff. And there's actually a website that shows you that are real time streaming, right? You can <laughs> see. In fact, if you go to GitHub today and start do a search for SA1 or SA, then you'll find something like 18,000 results. How, do you want to take a bet how many of them are private keys? <laughs> could be, <right>? Oops. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Oops. I've done in the past. I've done, I've committed my blog, which uses SendGrid and it has, it had my SendGrid password. I did it overnight on a public repo. I totally forgot about it. Got up in the morning, 30,000 emails on my account. I was like, man, I went viral overnight. That's amazing. I've got 30,000 new subscribers. But, you know, on the same email, I also said, make sure that you haven't checked in any secrets in GitHub. And the <laughs> light bulb went out. I was like, damn, I forgot about that. <laughs> so uh, rushed back to my uh, account, reset my password. It just goes to show that as soon as you put something in the public domain, it becomes mm-hmm. an attack vector, right? Not even a public domain. It can be a, in a private repo, and somebody gets social engineered into disclosing that information, or somebody gets their machine hijacked. That You get access to GitHub because you're already authenticated with single sign-on. And this is what happens. So you know, there are lots of ways to get that. If we can eliminate Mm -hmm. secrets, that's one less thing to worry about as a developer and as a company.
2: And that must also play very well into the code in in DevOps, that if you don't have anything that is secret or unique within the code, it's much, Mm -hmm. much easier to reproduce because you have all your secrets somewhere else. Uh, So you can just move the code wherever you like it to be and then... Authenticate yeah. the way that's most suitable to that environment. So there are benefits both from a security point of view, but also from a productivity and, and like time to value point of view, too.
1: That's absolutely right. I've got a blog post that shows you how to do it with Pulumi, how to do it with Terraform, how to do it with the uh, arm, and how to do it with uh, bicep. So, you know, you choose your poison, we've got you covered. <laughs>
2: yeah. So um, there's already, uh, we, we have Build, Coming up, uh, mm-hmm. I assume there are some quite interesting announcements to be made there. Uh, and and I, am exactly, I'm fully All aware of the NDA content. Stuff until,
1: <laughs> until build time. I'm sorry, I can't exactly. disclose anything. <laughs> but, but
2: like in, in general, without disclosing anything, what, what mm-hmm. are you excited about for, for the coming year?
1: What would
2: you like in to general? see? In, Technology yeah, in, general. in
1: general or just uh, identity related yep. stuff?
2: Let, let's start with identity. And I'm very curious about what, what's like... You're excited about technology as well, but let's start with identity.
1: I think for, for oh, way right for identity, I think <laughs> that there are two important things that are coming, that are mm-hmm. particularly exciting, and they get me super excited. The first one is continuous access evaluation, and I will mm-hmm. explain what that is in a second. And the second one is token binding. So for the first one, uh, with continuous access evaluation, uh, there will be a mechanism to revoke access tokens at any time and uh, for applications to consume that mechanism as well. And therefore, if I uh, sign into my email, my token is live for or valid for another hour. If I receive a call from my manager to say, well, Chris, it's been great. Thank you for having Thank you for working with us. Uh, Good luck on your next endeavor. And then I'm fired. I still have access to my emails for that hour. Now, with continuous access evaluation, Outlook can receive a, a... and notification say, well, this person has actually left the company, no more access. Uh, it can also work with machine learning where we, we can step up authentication. So for example, if I always sign in from Seattle, so nothing bad happens, I haven't lost my job yet, but suddenly there's a sign in from Germany for that same account, we can, uh, we can force it uh, a step up. So it will prompt me for either two-factor authentication or resubmit my credentials, therefore protecting me as a user protecting my data and protecting the company at the same time. Now, with continuous access evaluation, you also get much longer lifetimes for the tokens. Therefore, my tokens don't need to be only for one hour short-lived because, you know, Christos might leave the company, Uh, but it can be for 24 hours, therefore providing Mm -hmm. a lot more resiliency into the platform because for 24 hours, I don't have to go back to Azure AD and get another token, right? So a lot less traffic in your application and a lot less traffic to your Azure AD and a lot more resiliency on the user end because now I can still get my emails even if there's some outage for let's say ten minutes or fifteen minutes. And at the same time, the company can always revoke the token and uh, save that. That's been a highly asked uh, issue or feature, and not just for Microsoft. It's for the entire and uh, or for the entire world that gives identities. Mm-hmm. Now, this has not been ratified yet. Microsoft is working with uh, other companies. To make that a proper RFC and therefore the implementation, we do have some support for Microsoft Graph. So, if you are using Microsoft Graph, which is a third party application, we have some proprietary way of doing it now. Uh, but until it gets ratified, we're just playing around just to see how it works, why it works, and get some feedback from the customers. The second one, or oh, do you have a question for that before I move to yeah. the token binding? Yeah, go for it.
2: Yeah, y- y- just to, to make the differentiation between continuous access evaluation and the identity protection that is now in uh, Azure Active Directory, where mm-hmm. I get that step up at sign-in. Yep. But as you were explaining it, you can get that step up anytime during the active life of the token. So basically yes. saying that, okay, you have a token. We now find something in your identity that doesn't look quite right. So mm-hmm. to continue to use your token yep. without waiting for a new sign-in, you get an MFA. And if mm-hmm. you can't respond to that MFA, it's an indication that something is actually wrong and then you lost your access. So that's quite astonishing that you can, what what you will be able to do with that, because it exactly. really, like you said, makes it a big difference where we don't have to play around with session times or token lifecycle or, or something like that. It's on-demand security or when required. So yes. it's, the, it's like in Harry Potter with the Room of Requirement. Uh, whenever you need an MFA, you will get an
1: MFA. <laughs> I like the analogy. There you go. Yeah. Harry Potter fans <laughs> rejoice. <laughs> and and then what's yeah. token binding? Token binding is binding the token to a specific uh, secret. So if mm-hmm. I use a a secret to like for getting a token, then that token will be bound to that secret, and therefore, even if that token falls a victim of a man-in-the-middle attack or someone tries to spoof it. They won't be able to use it because it won't. It's bound to that specific application, to that specific instance, and therefore um, minimizing the risk of uh, getting a man-in-the-middle attack or uh, token replay attacks or whatever. Which is great. Again, another feature that you get for free. You don't have to uh, develop that. It comes to you for free. There you have it.
0: Do we have any timelines on on these two features?
1: There's still, uh, I mean, the, uh, the for the first one, first we need to get a ratification. So all everybody in uh, the consortium needs to agree on how we want to implement that. The biggest challenge is how do we notify the client that there's been a revocation of the token? And that agreement needs to be consistent across everyone. It's like all of two, right? Like you receive mm-hmm. something, whether it's a message, a notification, maybe a graph endpoint that you call into to get that information. But it needs to be a, a push to the client so the client can respond to that. And we don't know what that push would look like yet or how it would be implemented. As soon as we know, then there will be an implementation. So um, hold mm-hmm. hold tight until we have some information there. It's not just held back by Microsoft. So the the second one, we're working on that. I think in uh, FY2022, we should see some things coming out. Uh, there, are, there are certain um, deployment or release kind of cycles there that uh, they will try to align to. But mm-hmm. uh, these are both actively being worked on and tested. So... Super exciting.
2: Yeah. And, and you, you spoke about the, is it the UOF2 consortium? So where you, or who were you talking about and who is part of that?
1: I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of companies like Google, Amazon, <laughs> uh, Amazon, sorry, um, Facebook, all the big organizations, everyone that is also acting as an IDP, right? An identity identity mm-hmm. provider, you know, Facebook has its own kind of identity system that you can use. Twitter has its own thing. So everyone that is in that uh, space, Okta, All 0 I suspect that all these uh, companies will be working together to have a consistent experience for developers and enterprises. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know exactly who is a member of the consortium, mm-hmm. but I know that uh, there are a lot of companies there, hence the challenge to find an agreement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too
2: many groups. Yeah, exactly. And and if I, just to, to make it clear for the listeners, what, what you just said about token bindings, would that be, if I give you an example, I authenticate to, if I authenticate to Azure AD today, mm-hmm. I can, if I allow to, uh, get single sign-on to any Azure AD app, really, that my token is valid for. But are you talking about that that could be unique? So when I access a certain site, as an example, and someone grabs that token, that that couldn't be used for any other platform? Exactly. What would the benefit be from from a user point of view or a security administrator point of view?
1: Uh, From a security, more from a developer point of view Mm -hmm. and from an ID admin. But if my application is using um, client credentials, not client credentials, Mm -hmm. but there's a secret that, Ver- uh, verifies that this this uh, application is the one that acquired the token, then that token is bound mm-hmm. to that specific secret. And therefore, mm-hmm. uh, even if there's another uh, application that requests exactly the same permissions from the same uh, app registration, they won't be able to use that token. So think of an app registration as the endpoint, but you can have multiple secrets there. Uh, so mm-hmm. you can have a mobile app and you can have a web app. So the web app acquires the token, and now you can somehow grab that token and take into your mobile app, and then you try to call into the backend to, you know, call an API. Yeah. That token will be invalid because the token was only issued to the web app with that specific secret, and therefore can be replayed outside that app.
2: That's really cool. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of technology in general, then, what are you looking forward to during the year?
1: Well, oh, within the year, I don't know. Like, I'm really looking for for uh, quantum uh, computing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Ubiquitous. Uh, powerful quantum computing that can solve a lot of problems. I think mm-hmm. it's not. I don't think it's coming in the next year. I, I wish it would come in the next year, but um, I know that large companies like Microsoft and IBM and Google are all working into getting that and making it a reality. I think mm-hmm. that will be transformative for the human race, not just developers or anybody else, but really, really something that we should be looking forward to.
0: Yeah, Simon, we really need to find. A, a live quantum developer and have a chat with them because I think <laughs> that the way that your eye your, are, are used to creating code, mm-hmm. that does not apply when it comes to quantum.
1: Nope. There's a, there's nope. a specific language that uh, has been developed by Microsoft for developing four quantum algorithms, right? That will help mm-hmm. you solve the problems. But it's very different to using like linear or structure programming where you say, I execute this and then execute that. And it's like... Const- like the sequential kind of programming, even with um, like even with functional programming or whatever, you still need to execute things in certain order. Whereas with quantum, it's 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 very hard to comprehend the fact that you'll be executing everything at the same time. But that's multiprocessing at the next level, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you know, having all the answers and all the data at the same time, it's insane. But how do you code for that? In fact, I I have a PM from that team that um, you could reach out to. I can connect you because. They you know, they, can, they can talk about what they're building or what they're looking forward to, and he's operating at the level of, hey, we're not we're not at the mechanics of the quantum machine, but it's at the higher levels where we need to have some kind mm-hmm. of a programming language or an in- interface for us to be able to um, take advantage of the quantum mechanics behind the scene. So yeah, that's super exciting.
0: But is the the programming language called Visual Q?
1: We can .dot <laughs> net. You forgot the .dot net there. Visual .dot Q. Q. net. <laughs>
0: I think we have the name of this episode, by the way.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the CEO of that, SEO of that would be enormous. So uh, let's go for that. So we're running out of time. Um, and As we uh, were always doing. Yeah, like it's it's horrible to have good people to talk to because time just runs faster. It's, it's like time in quantum all at one time. Yeah, too um, much fun. Yeah, exactly. So if, if you would have one advice to developers listening to this in terms of identity, what would that be?
1: Don't, don't be scared. Like, there's there's not much to it. Um, and if you get stuck, reach out to us. Like that, That's what we're here <laughs> for. As for identity, I would say don't spend too much time trying to understand the mechanics. Uh, mm-hmm. And always, always use some delegated identity service. Ideally, you're using us, but if you're not using us... Use somebody else. You don't want to roll out your own identity ever, ever, ever. Mm-hmm. So that's the lesson. If you want to take something out of this one, do not roll out your own identity system. Use an established provider.
0: Ideally, I agree Christos. Christos. knows what he's talking about. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I screwed up. I've done my first error of screwing up. I've, I've even deployed my own identity system on top of a mm-hmm. CMS that I built back in the day because pff, WordPress has nothing on me, you know. I'm, I'm so much better at that. And I build everything with the ASP web pages. So, you know, I can do some horrible stuff. But now that I know how, what it takes, to, there's a slide that I saw once. Um, I haven't shared it um, a lot, but all the different components that uh, make Microsoft Identity. You know, the, the conditional mm-hmm. access engine, the MFA engine, the, the machine learning that happens behind of that, the scale of the thing, and all these different components are like 45 different components all working together to for you to just use three lines of code to add identity. It's just insane, right? But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's the whole point. Do not roll out your own identity. That's the <laughs> lesson. That Craigs. works.
2: Thank you so much for for being part of Native in Tech. We have really enjoyed having you on the show. And um, it, it's always f- like I, I couldn't code if my life depended on it. But I always love speaking to developers. And I always learn so much that I find very valuable in my non-code life. So thank you so much for for sharing your insights and your uh, experience and your like upcoming
0: things you're excited about.
1: Thanks for having me. It was uh, it was a blast. Really appreciate it.
0: Well, that's pretty much what we have time for, so thank you again and have a great rest of It's not going to be an evening for you. It's going to be morning, correct? Afternoon. Afternoon. Afternoon it is. Thank you for listening to this episode. Knee Deep in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Davidson and Simon Binder. If you have any feedback, questions or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at needybentech.com.